Amazon Books, your weekly program about great reads through book talks, trailers, and first chapters. Presented by Mrs. Winningham and Mrs. Kovach. Hi, it's Mrs. Kovach. Today I'll be reading The Girl I Used to Be by April Henry. Chapter one, scatter my bones. The only sound I can hear is my own panicked breathing. I'm running flat out through the forest. Then my toe catches a root and suddenly I'm flying. Until I'm not, I come down hard with my hands cuffed in front of me. I can't really break my fall. Despite the plastic boot on my left leg, I'm up again in crazy scrambling seconds, spitting out dirt and pine needles as I start sprinting again. Running like my life depends on it, because it does. Three weeks ago, I was living in Portland, working in a supermarket, supermarket deli, slicing turkey breast and handing out chicken samples and cheese samples and all sorts of lunch meat samples on toothpicks. Now I'm hurling through the Southern Oregon woods being chased by a killer and no one knows I'm here. Because of the handcuffs, I can't pump my fist. Instead, I have to swing them in tandem, trying to avoid another fall. I lift my knees higher as the ground rises I can't hear my pursuer, just my own panting breath. If I don't come back, will Duncan ever know what happened to me? These woods can hide things for years. Will animals scatter my bones, plants twine around my remains? When I reach the top of the hill, I don't slow down. Instead, I try to lengthen my stride. It's impossible to maintain rhythm. I leap over a log, splash through the silver thread of a creek. My mouth is so dry, it tastes of dirt and other bitterness of fear. A stellar's jay startles up from the branch, squawking. If only I could take wing and fly. But I'm stuck here on earth, legs churning, staggering over this uneven ground. I can't stop or I'll die. The reality is that I'm probably going to die anyway. And if that's so, I'm going to go down fighting. Chapter 2, Three Weeks Earlier. It begins with a name I haven't heard in years, except in my dreams. Ariel. Ariel Benson. I freeze. Ten seconds ago, someone knocked on my apartment door. Through the peephole, I saw two men, one with a white band for a collar. I didn't feel like take, talking to the missionaries with their brochures printed on paper, so I turned away. But then they said my name, my old name. Now I opened the door a few inches. They're in their mid-30s, about the right age to be my dad. A bubble expands in my chest. Ariel Benson, the man in the rumple suit, repeats, his pale eyes locking onto mine. Nothing about him is familiar. I nod, and when I try to swallow, my tongue is a piece of leather. I'm Detective Campbell, and this is Chaplain Farben. We're with the Portland police, but we're here on behalf of the Medford police. Medford is more than four hours away. It's where I was born. Can we come in? Cops. The kaleidoscope shifts. Should I be disappointed or relieved? I step back, feeling embarrassed by the open box of Lucky Charms on the scarred coffee table. They take the blue futon couch. I sit on the green striped chair I found on the side of the road two months ago. Since they're cops, I know that they must be here to tell me something. And it's not like one of them is my father. So you found my dad? All these years, I imagine where he might have run. Mexico, Cambodia, Venezuela. Some people where he could be forgotten. Some place where he could not be found. But the laws must have finally caught up with him. The detective froze his brow. Has someone been in contact with you? I made sure no one knows the truth about who I am, who I come from. Just guessing, 
I shrug, like I don't care. Why else would two cops be here? Is there someone you would like us to call, Ariel? The chaplain asked. He's a round, pale face like a moon. Someone you would like to have with you? I wish they'd just cut to the chase. I'm an emancipated minor. I don't need an adult here. According to the law, I am the adult, even though I only just turned 17. So where'd you find him? The, de the detective pulls out a notebook and flips to the top page. It was actually a woman walking her dog in the woods about a mile from here where your mother's body was found. At first, I imagined my dad as some crazy, long-haired guy living off the grid. But then I realized they're not talking about him living in a cabin and the pieces shift and fall again. They're talking about a body. The world slows down. You mean he's dead? My father is dead? Startled, the two men exchange glances. I press my hand to my mouth, lifting it long enough to say, can you start from the beginning, please? The detective sucks in his breath. You're Ariel Benson, right? It's simpler just to agree, right? The adoption eight years ago didn't work out, but I kept the name. Olivia Reinhardt. I left Ariel Benson behind. And your mother was Naomi Benson. And your father was Terry Weeks. The detective watches me carefully. Is that right? I nod, still trying to get used to the repetition of the word was. Nearly 14 years ago, your mother's body was found in the forest in Southern Oregon. Right, my dad killed her and then drove up here. Along the way, he dropped me off at the Salem Walmart. He parked at the airport and then took off. Wiped his truck clean, left in long-term parking lot and vanished. This was before September 11th, when it was a lot easier just to fly away without leaving a record of where you went. Leaving behind your murdered girlfriend and your three-year-old daughter. So I don't understand, how could his body be in the forest? Not his whole body, the detective corrects me. So far, all the Medford police have found is his jawbone. It was found about a month ago. But there wasn't enough teeth left to match dental records. They just got the DNA results back. Even though I'm sitting down, the floor feels far away. The chaplain leans forward. Ariel, what you said was the working theory the Medford police had all these years. But the discovery of your father's remains changes that. They now think he was murdered, probably at the same time as your mother, by the same person. I try to take it in. My father's not a killer. He's not in some foreign country. He's not going to show up at my door to see how I turned out. He's been dead for nearly 14 years. I snatch at one of the dozen of thoughts swirling in my brain. But you said it. I'm not going to say jawbone. I'm not... It was a mile from where my mom was found? Why weren't they found together? The detective shrugs. It's hard to know. Your mother's body wasn't found for what? He looks down in his notebook and back up at me. Three weeks? Animals could have disturbed the remains? The killer could have moved one of the bodies? Maybe one of your parents tried to run? The Medford police didn't know how your father was killed because they only have the jawbone. All my life, I've known what I am. The daughter of a victim and a killer. And when I look in the mirror, sometimes I thought I could see both of them. Part of my dad was with me and that meant I could grow up to be like him. And every time I lost my temper, I felt it pulse deep inside. The knowledge that I could do something crazy like he did, stab someone I was supposed to love and leave them with only the cold stars as witnesses. But now what am I? Who was my father? And there's something else. If dad didn't kill mom, if his body has always been in the forest, then who drove me to the Walmart three hours away? I imagine the three-year-old me. I thought about that girl so much. What might she have seen? What did she know? What was it like being in a truck with her dad after he killed her mother? I 
I don't remember ever being that girl. Not what happened the day or before then. It's not remembering. It could be a gift or a curse. And now everything has been turned on its head. Too bad you were too young to remember anything. The detective meets my eyes. His own were washed blue. Although that's probably what saved you because the Medford police believe it. Believe it must have been your parents' killer who took you to the Walmart. Chapter three. The room is spinning. I close my eyes. When everyone thought my dad had killed my mom, it made sense that he hadn't killed me. I was his daughter, his own blood. But why not? I managed to ask. If the killer had already murdered my parents, why didn't he just kill me? The detective straightens up. You just said he, and the chaplain watched me closely. Yeah, so? Does that mean you remember that the killer was a man? The police down in Medford want to know if you have any memories of what happened, especially in light of this uh, new evidence. I don't remember anything. It just seems likely it was a man, that's all. What woman would stab another woman 19 times? I can't imagine stabbing anyone once. In biology class last year, we had to cut an earthworm in half and then sew it back together. I'll never forget the way the worm's skin resisted and finally gave way with a pop. Detective Campbell shrugs. You'd be surprised. It could have been a woman. Maybe not a stranger. Not that many times, but a woman who knew your mom and hated you. Or hated her. Or who panicked and felt like she had to make sure your mom was dead. The chaplain pulls a face at the bluntness, but the detective doesn't stop. You're right, though. In cases like this, it's more than likely a male perpetrator. As to why, or maybe she, didn't kill you, he probably figured you were too young to say anything about what you had seen. Or he knew you, and that held him back. Or he felt it was wrong killing a child. Some killers target specific victims, but would never, ever hurt someone that doesn't meet the profile. Could it have been a stranger, I asked? Some crazy guy that we met in the woods? 